Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Professional Awesome Racing's Hypercritical Radio. I'm Hayden Lowe, and I'll be your host for today. I'm joined by... Mike Lewin. Devin Giles. And Dan O'Donnell. As well as Tomo and Jeff Westfall today for an yet another episode of Racing-Related Chat. So, first off, out of our two special guests, Tomo, tell us a little bit about yourself. I started in motorsports about 13 years ago, uh, almost 14 years with autocrossing, uh, worked my way into track stuff, and have been racing the past five years professionally, mostly with uh, Honda Racing. Was also introduced through the racing community to all of you lovely people, and uh, almost exclusively my time attack experience is in the professional awesome Evo. We got like three minutes in, he's already lying, calling us lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Jeez. I wasn't aware... You, you've yeah. not done any other time attack other than with us or very minimally? Yeah, very limited. Maybe like one-offs here and there. Um, I mean, I, I used I did a, a an SCCA time trials in my World Challenge car in 2018. Um, but I would say like the events that I've shown up to do time attack have pretty much yeah. only been in your car. <laughs> well, I feel special now. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, you want to give us a, a little synopsis? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Jeff Westfall. I've uh, been in motorsports a very similar amount of time, uh, 13 to 14 years, uh, racing professionally for probably eight of those years. Um, I first started in Time Attack, kind of as Time Attack was evolving in the U.S. Uh, with, with Redline, probably back in 2010. Um, did some driving there in the Unlimited class, had some success, set some records, morphed into a uh, global Time Attack program with GST Motorsports, and then later with professional awesome in their Evo. Um, beyond that, uh, racing in uh, most closed cockpit, uh, wheel-to-wheel endurance format sports car events. So SRO, what used to be Pirelli World Challenge, now SRO, GT Americas, or IMSA in their WeatherTech Championship or their GT4 Michelin Pilot Challenge Championship. Very cool. Sweet. Yeah, I, I have a question that comes to mind immediately. For, for both of you guys, like how does uh, Time Attack compare to wheel-to-wheel racing as far as like enjoyment from the cockpit? And I guess we'll start with Tomo first. Sure. Um, so, I mean, my experience mostly stems from autocross back um, when I got started. It took me seven or eight years to even drive on a racetrack. But um, be, the, the autocross and Time Attack approach is very similar because you're ultimately going for a, a single fast time in a short number of tries. Um, especially in a in a you know unlimited or higher level prepared car where you can't just do lap after lap. So from my original experience and where I would say the the root of my like motorsports core is, it's very similar. Um, and then branching away from that was getting into wheel to wheel racing. Um, and the, the first thought is the what I call the shakes. You know, you get like the the adrenaline rush of the drive um, is actually very similar, almost more often in time attack because you're just pushing the car to its absolute limit and um, you get that rush of adrenaline from that. And that doesn't happen a ton in wheel-to-wheel racing. It kind of only happens when you like are building up to a success and you finally take the checkered flag and you finally won that big race. Or if you had a really close call or a really good battle, which are kind of few and far between or further and fewer between than uh, you would expect. Um, so I would say like from the pure like joy and, and rush of it, Time attack and wheel-to-wheel racing, like you almost get that more in time attack, um, but you just don't get to do it 
anywhere near as much because you get way more laps in wheel to wheel racing. So that one's more of a there's a broader approach to it with, you know, um, the chess match of the wheel to wheel and the consistency required and just the number the the number of laps you're doing in the duration of time that you're on track. Um, that's the biggest difference for me anyway. That's very cool. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really, you know, for me it's I I honestly didn't think you were going to say it that way. So that's super interesting for me. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's a really, honestly, it's a great comparison between autocross and time attack. Like that's what I wouldn't so have what, thought of it that way. So El Jefe. Yes, sir. What, what, what is your, uh, what is your between, between time attack, between your, your wheel to wheel experience, you know, how would you, how do you rate those and, and what do you like more? And, you know, feel free to, you know, be incredibly honest with us. You know, I, I actually, I truly, really enjoy the time attack format because it's it's big risk, big reward. Um, typically, in the cars that I've driven, we can't do consecutive laps. They're built to a level where the heat soak is a major problem, and so we try and put everything in one lap, one flyer, maybe two if you're lucky. Um, and you're dealing with changing track conditions. You're dealing with someone ahead of you putting dirt, you know, in, at an apex curb that you want to use, uh, getting the tire pressures right the ambient temperature, making it all come together. And if you slide wide by a foot, you're in the dirt and the whole lap's gone. And in a sense, if you do that four or five times, your whole event's gone. So for me, the, uh, the challenge that it offers and the, the gratification when you're done, right. When you, when you actually put something together, that's worthwhile and the team and everyone, you know, made it happen. And there is that result or that record that you guys achieved. Um, it's, it's a, a great feeling and I, I love that like kind of gamble aspect to it. And the road course racing for me, um, much like what Tom said, you know, the, the buildup is not quite the same. It's a bit more linear. It's a bit more uh, momentum based. Uh, the only thing I can say that's similar is like actually what happened to me most recently at the 12 hours of Sebring was um, we did the last pit stop. I was in the car for uh, an hour and a half. We got the last stop done and we were, a 10 second lead roughly in first place at the 12 hour. Um, a caution came out, which to me seemed kind of like a, uh, the NASCAR debris caution, even though yeah, I never saw yeah, debris. Yeah. Stacked the field back up and probably the fastest car on the track was right behind me um, in our category. And so at the restart in traffic with prototypes, I mean, that's kind of a similar buildup, right? You know what's coming. Sure. You have 10 minutes in the race left. You've worked for 11 hours and 50 minutes to put yourself in that position. And uh, it's a similar kind of buildup and, and release that way. Yeah, that would sound like the tantric of motorsports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that would be lows, my friend. Highs and lows. It's all yeah. highs and lows. <laughs> oh, the, um, and, and to be clear, both like for people listening who don't know as much about Jeff and Tom, in their wheel to wheel world, they, they are killers at, at running qualifying as well. I mean, just absolutely out qualify almost everybody they run against. So it's 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 not like they're not you know what I mean. Like when they come to time attack, they're well suited for it because obviously when they go out and do the wheel to wheel version of that, which is qualifying, they do a fantastic job. I think Jeff is it is I don't know if this is still true or if this is if I've got this right, but you were the only American to ever set pole in your class at 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 the ring. Is that correct? Yeah, I was the only American to set the pole in the uh, 24-hour race at the Nordschleife and the GP circuit. Out of uh, At the time, it was 47 years. There was only yeah. two non-Germans that had done it. It was Kevin Estra and myself. Everyone else had been German in the, in the previous years of the race. Yeah, it, it, just like 
you know, both of these guys are capable of, you know, obviously they're very, very well tuned to setting a fast lap in a very short period of time and making it work. So it kind of, it kind of works well. Do you, do you think the time attack help you do that? Or do you think that you were already good at it and that's why you're good at time attack? Question for both of you guys. 1000% time attack helped me with that. I mean, when you, when I really break down time attack and what it is and its inception, it's, it's qualifying, but you have to do it in one lap. Right. And at the ring, uh, that you get to the top 40, right? And then the top 40 cars get to go qualify out of everyone that's entered. So at that race, there was like 150 entries. Um, and there was 38 were factory-supported GT3 cars. Audi had nine cars with factory drivers in every one. BMW had six. I mean, everybody, it's, it's a German stomping ground. They all want to win that event. Right. Um, and we were on a development tire program with Dunlop. And so we had tires that were built for our car and they evolved as our car evolves. And we knew that we had seven eighths of a lap of the tire to be ideal. So I was instructed to go out and go really, really easy, much like you do in a time tech car, not to heat soak it on your warm up, generating a little bit of tire temp, but not overusing it. Um, and then putting one single flyer down and that's what it was more or less. So it, it's, it absolutely was parallel and it did help me achieve that and be able to be comfortable with that same scenario rather than trying it for the first time. Sure. I mean, that's got, I, I get goosebumps thinking about that. You know, obviously we've been there plenty of times on the sidelines and, and watching it happen. So I get goosebumps even just, you know, you talking about that. So it's, it's very cool to hear. Goosebumps is code name for an erection, just so yep. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hopefully so Tom, they're different magnitudes, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Different, different things. Yeah, um, same thing, different things. But, but Tom, obviously you came from autocross, which is, you know, obviously requires um, precision on a course, not very many laps. So it's kind of like a different, a different starting point. Do you think that the same thing or do you think the autocross made you good at time attack and good at qualifying or, or what do you think? Well, yeah, there's a, like a couple things, and and Jeff hit one of them for sure. Is like you you get this like almost a science out approaching uh, approach to what you're going to do. You know, there's there's certain things like making sure the car doesn't get heat soaked or getting the tires in the prime condition or your gap to the next car if you're not the fastest car uh, or you're not you know just finding a place on the track. Like all of those things um, are when you're in a qualifying slash time attack slash even autocross to an extent situation. You have to know how to like science out that um that situation and if you come from uh lapping days into just racing i think you're used to just getting the rock spinning on the string and just swinging it around where there's not necessarily so much um like fine-tuning to the approach of what you're trying to do technicality um yeah yeah exactly so i think there's there's like a creativity that you have to have when you come from a just pure attack like that um that you you're always setting yourself up for success even when it's not on the lap itself uh, or in that one session itself or whatever the situation may be but i also think that coming from the autocross side and and coming from that like very few approaches to it there's an adaptability but also a um i just lost it like an adaptability to the, the course never being the same you have to be able to react to conditions really quickly um and from my personal experience with autocross i never even owned my own car um, except for like an eight month period where I had a Miata until I figured out I was too poor to own my own car. <laughs> it's like, wait, <laughs> if I have my own car, I'm going to be slow all the time. Damn. Can't do that. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky to drive a lot of different cars and you just get to, you get this adaptability that you can feel what's going to happen within, you know, the first time you've hit the throttle, the brake and steer the steering wheel once, and then you, you can just go. So I think that that really caters itself well to 
driving on track in a qualifying or time attack perspective. Um, and then also just flipping it on immediately rather than needing some time to get going. Yeah, no, it, it honestly, watching both of you is insane uh, to be able to run so fast and know, you know, at least to a, a high level of confidence where the limit is just after a few corners and after it's like it, it to me, it's like you you're like a computer program. You're both very good at it. It's like you touch the brakes, you know what the brakes are going to do now. So you know what the brakes are going to do with the next braking zone, even though you haven't touched that braking zone yet. Right. So, you know, exactly, yeah. you know what I mean? You guys both get that, yeah. that, that very close to the limit. And it's just, it's impressive to watch how quickly you guys are, you know, calculating oh it's got this much grip here the next corner is a little bit different but sure. it should probably have this much base you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. You, you you can almost you can almost feel you guys doing that and and the data shows that obviously you guys get a lot out of it and you, you don't need a ton of laps to be comfortable with it which is it's just insane um to watch it and, and i don't think most people realize like that is just an amazing feat Especially with with cars that you might not. I mean, our car, right? We always try to set it up as close as we can for you guys, but it, it's not like you guys were fitted for the seat and fitted for this, you know, steering wheel and the pedals are great or anything like that. It's sure like, right? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Jeff, you were you were a little worse off, I think, than Tom because we kind of my arms were locked more. out trying to grab yeah, the wheel. Exactly. Exactly. I think you were a little worse off in some of that in some of those instances, and and you know, you're trying to drive in Dan's position, and it's just. It's just insane that even in that, in an uncomfortable position, not a perfect position, right? Yeah. You're almost extending your leg to be full-on braking, which is just very hard to modulate at that point. You're still capable of doing those things. So it's always, it's always cool to watch you know, the, the, the ability to do that so quickly, like to know what it's going to feel like. And I, I honestly do not understand it. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I, you know, I, don't, I wish I was that good at something. So what you're saying, Mike, like is – Oh, go for it, Jeff. You're more important than me. <laughs> I was, was going to say to your point, you know, like you, you brought up the comment of feel, right? And how we right. can, and essentially we're learning every time we do something with the car. Right. And so we're learning how the tires are growing in, in temp, which is grip, because they go and right. coincide quite often. We're learning different surfaces. And then once we've done one lap, we kind of know what to expect in lap two. Now, initially, most drivers take days to figure out a track or even. Right multiple days to really, really figure out a track. But when Tom and I have done stuff for so long, we can a prep before we show up and kind of know what the surface changes are before we've even driven a lot and then start to learn it more quickly. And that feel that we develop comes with experience, but it's not just any experience. It's not, it's not blindly practicing. It's practicing with a purpose. It's, sure. it's specifically saying that's something I want to get better at. And I'm going to focus my energy on, on the precision of what I'm doing. And the more time you spend on one tire, truly helps you with that. And I'll give you an example is that I've raced uh, a similar car in both classes, the 488 GT3 Evo Ferrari in Michelin uh, on Michelin in IMSA and the same car on Pirelli's in SRO. And in, the, in an Audi R8 GT4, very similar format on Pirelli's in one and Michelin tires on the other. Just the difference of the tire. They are the same size. So it's just who makes them, how stiff the sidewalls are, how the tire is constructed. Both cars wanted completely different setups, different ride heights in the front and versus the rear. So rake, they wanted uh, different sway bar settings. They wanted different spring settings, different bump stop settings, different alignment settings, just changing the tire. And so when you're really trying to develop feel, you can often 
paint yourself into a really bad corner. And I see it happen a lot with DE guys that are just buying the next cheapest tire to throw on their car so they can keep going. Sure. If it's something you want to get better at, stick to one brand and work on that tire over and over and over because you develop that last five or 10% of feel of the sidewall moving before the car slides. And that's truly what you, you know, you met reference for Tom and I is the ability to get in and just do it because we've done it enough that we kind of know what to expect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say even building off of that from tires, but everything like I, when I'm coaching people or working with people who are newer, I, I always like really emphasize like you should not change your car past drivability things, you know, like obviously if your seating position's bad or if like your tires are corded, right. like the car's not drivable, that's one thing, but don't change anything until you can repeat the same lap three times or five times, whatever you want your consistency to be, because you have to be able to deliver, like if you're just making changes willy nilly, you're not learning anything. And especially if you're making your car better, you're definitely not learning anything. You're just going faster because the car is getting better. So until you can put down, you know, ideally a 20 minute session at a DE for the entire session, you should be lapping within the same, you know, five tenths. Um, and until you can do that, I really discourage people from changing their cars. And I honestly en encourage them to keep them like kind of bad by the, yeah, by the grand sure. scheme of like making your car good. It's like, <laughs> leave it on 400 treadwear tires, leave it on soft stock suspension, like leave it in a condition where you have to do the work because then when you make the car better, like you're not, you're not going to have to change anything. You're yeah. just immediately going to do the same thing and the car is going to, you're working less be hard. Better. Yep. Yep. Well, it's good that there's a consensus because <laughs> that sounds awesome. I mean, we obviously we sell parts and, and obviously, you know, we're, we're growing as a business and, and we try to say the same thing. I mean, like that's what Dan's doing with, with the Evo 10 here is it's all about reliability. It's all about, you know, making sure we got proper cooling, making sure we got proper braking. And, and those are the two most important to start with. You know, if it's a, a crappy tire, if it's a, a relatively not so great suspension, the suspension will work. But if it's not great, who cares, right? Mm -hmm. Um if you're just trying to be consistent and that's, you know, that's what we're going for, for the Evo 10 and uh, just so we can run laps and be consistent. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we talked about wanting to do some testing and things like that, Tom, and, and, and we want to do it that way so that we can get some consistent laps and then do back to back comparison with different parts and products and things like that to show that we've got, you know, consistency. And now we've got, you know, um, a change in that consistency, right? We, we have a step change and that's the A to B testing that we're looking for. So it's, it's, it's definitely good information for people out there. I think I like, question. Oh shit. I keep getting stepped on. Go for it. Oh no, this is, this is, this is change of subject. So if you're, if you're on subject, hit it. Well, yeah, I guess the, the one thing I was going to say is just to reiterate that like, from the things that we have said throughout this podcast for I don't know how many episodes we've done now, like the notes that I hope someone takes from this is stay on the same tires and then make sure you're consistent before making any changes. Because people kind of say that like, you know, quote unquote driver mod, quote unquote yeah. practice and all that stuff. But that, that is it right there. Just sums it up perfectly. It's just so you can learn your vehicle and then you can learn yourself. And the one thing I was going to say that is on, on topic that um, Jeff is kind of talking about his experience um, with GST and then driving some really badass cars uh, with the Nürburgring and, and all that stuff. The, the GSTL was for sure faster than the professional Austin Evo when he made the swap into it. Um, I'm kind of like mind blown if I, I think I have this right, right, Tom, that the first time you jumped into the professional awesome evo that was the fastest car you had ever driven 
Oh, yeah, by far. Um, at that time, I was racing. Um, <laughs> that's how I, I was racing. That. Oh, yeah, by far. Like, civic, civic touring cars and stuff. Absolutely. And I'd driven, like, you know, Corvettes and stuff on track and track days. But um, that was by far the fastest car I'd driven. Yeah, so, so yeah. I think the thing that we need to interject here, because we all need to acknowledge it, and it's a lot of what you guys have worked so hard to do, is that the, the level of prep that the PA off, the PA Evo was in, in the GST car and, and then that style of time attack car, even with my experience, every time I drive something like that, leaving pit lane in the first lap is an instant, holy shit moment. And you have to recalibrate everything. Yeah. So to your point of never driven, driving anything that fast, Tom, I mean, it's incredible that you can get in and just pick it up so quick because the, those things are, they're still eye opening. It's like, it never fails. Every time you drive a 600 plus wheel horsepower track prepped car, it's a, it's an eye opener. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, that's, that's what I was just going to say. It, you know, it, when Jeff took over um, for my driving, it was the car was just getting so fast that um, I, I was just not able to get that consistency out of it because, of, you know, a big reason was because the car couldn't consistently be driven for 20 minutes, let's say. We, we couldn't afford it, afford it the wear time. and tear on it, the reliability, all that. And, you know, when, when, Jeff took over the seat. It was like, I mean, like a no brainer. This is awesome. Um, I went back in and drove the car a couple times and I was reasonably quick, but then to have, um, Tom come in with like, you know, like you said, an autocross civic background and then just like mop the floor with me. That's, it's a testament to Tomo's skills and kind of, um, the inherent natural talent he has on top of the practice that goes along with it. And I, I just kind of wanted to, like, highlight that that moment about, A, how terrible I am. But more importantly, that, like, Tom could just jump in and and from from our vantage point, from Mike and my vantage point, like, like oh, shit, we've kind of found uh, a local Jeff Westfall. This is kind of amazing. <laughs> the yeah, Midwest I mean, version. <laughs> the yeah, yeah. seriously. I mean, and that's well, why I said, like. When we started hanging out, we, to, for us, like for the listeners who don't know, but I, you know, you guys have very similar like mannerisms. You guys have very similar like ways you do things, and I don't know if that's just a professional attitude, but I think it comes back to we've the, met many terrible professionals. Don't I'm lie, I met a terrible, <laughs> terrible professionals. Don't yeah, don't lie sure, like that. I, fine. Yes, <laughs> but, but I don't, you know, I don't know what it is about you guys, but you guys have very similar attitudes towards you know the goals how you're gonna uh, how you're gonna achieve your goals obviously you're very you're very driven to achieve those goals and you you have a very strong mindset of where you're gonna go and you're, you're very um focused on it but you're not dicks about it you you try to be part of the team as much as possible all those things and and it's a it's really cool to watch but it's amazing how similar you were in that regard as well and it, it it's just kind of crazy to me you know the, because we hadn't hung out with tom very much and then tom gets in the car and i'm like this is like, you you know, you fit right in well. You know, you you you're you're doing everything you need to do. You're you're trying to help. You're you know you, all these things that we didn't get from you know some other people we tried stuff like that. Some other people we met, and it, it was just it's just amazing. And like I, I think, um, Tom, what was what did you say you ran at Button Willow? Because you had lots of laps at Button Willow, but nothing that fast. What did you run in the Civic at Button Willow with Honda? Um, it was a slightly different layout, but I think we were like two ten. We yeah. ran. We ran down to. Um, is it Mazda Corner? The, yeah. the yeah, furthest. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 
much how much extra time does that add? Let, uh, like, I know that's a pretty pretty long stretch down there, but mm. based on I, what I've seen with Ferrari Challenge seconds. testing and had the same car, it's usually like four to five seconds, depending on yeah, what you're driving. So some, the more horsepower you have, the smaller the delta. Right, right. So that that maybe it's ten seconds. So maybe you would have been a two minute. The second you got in the car, you ran a one fifty. 140, right? 140, sorry. 140, 140. yeah. What are you talking about, Mike? Like, <laughs> disrespectful tonight. Jesus. Yeah, sorry. Disrespectful. Well, so to, to complete yeah. the circle of, oh, no, you're pretty. No, you're pretty. No, you're pretty. You, I think it's a huge uh, a huge <laughs> emphasis. Like, I've driven cars that have 100 horsepower that make me look like a jackass because they're really bad. So to put it into perspective, to be able to hop in a car, regardless of me or Jeff's experience or whatever we can do with a car, if the car is terrible, we're still going to look kind of terrible sure. sometimes. So... I only drove it when it was so far developed, you know, that it it was in a really good place so I could feel exactly what it was going to do. And short of mechanical failures, it was never doing anything that was just like undrivable to make me look bad. So that's a, a full circle. Like, yes, maybe, you know, my experience and, and my whatever puts me in a position to be able to to do certain things. But also the car being put together in the way that is you know, set up for success is just as much of an effort. And to me is more impressive because I don't know anything about cars. Um, but I also think that when you're like going back to the driving approach, you basically have, uh, you know, you put in the work to be a, a good driver. You, you, you have that like breadth of experience and that foundation laid, um, you know, the stuff like be able to drive five laps on the same couple of tenths, that kind of stuff. So when you get in a position like autocross or time attack, you know what the rules are and you kind of know when it's okay to break them. Um, meaning like, you would never you would never add a little bit extra wheel because it might hurt the tires in an endurance sure. race. So when Jeff and I are doing, you know, one, two, three stints in a row on the same set of tires, you know, everything is down to saving that tire. But in time attack, you know it's okay to kind of like grind it in the ground a little bit if it's a little faster, even though it's bad for the tire. So there's like those little rules and autocross really taught me that. And I didn't even really appreciate that it taught me that until I stepped away from autocross more and started driving on track because people would point out that I'm I'm using more steering angle on qualifying than I am in, in normal lapping because I know that I can get more out of the car in a smaller window of time by abusing it harder in that smaller window. So I think that's like a twofold when you have that experience, but you also have the equipment to do it. It can kind of just come together like that. Yeah. And, and for this, in this case, Jeff was invaluable in getting the car to even close to where it was. Right. Jeff had to deal with all of our problems. <laughs> Unfortunately, we uh, fire in the car one time. Yeah, we we tried to uh, we tried to make Jeff's day exciting more than once. Unfortunately, <laughs> and, and stupid problems to have, you know, from an exploding oil filter, which is just the stupidest problem to have if anybody had it. Um, but but you know, it, it did help. You know, we we did allow for some. Uh, comeback scenarios let's say that especially when the we ran that 42 and and you know car caught on fire and we fix it and you run a 42 like that that was an insane day and you know and even you know mike was over there you know trying to help everybody was over there trying to clean off the bottom of the car and and then and, and again you just got right back in it you know we're like we're not sure if it's perfect but it's about as good as it's going to be and we're confident that it won't hurt you much <laughs> and you're like okay and you got in it, and you drove the shit out of it, and that was that. It's you know what I mean. It's like the we did our job. hate to lose. Yeah, exactly. We did our job, and then you did your job. And I and I, and I remember. I even remember because I remember talking to you as you're getting in the car, right? Because you know I'm I'm talking to people as they're they're about to go out, and I'm talking to you, and I'm like, 
Any problems, you bring it back in. You're like, I got it. And I'm like, any problems, you just, you know, don't worry about it. Just bring it back in. We've done what we needed to do. And you're like, no, no, I got it. <laughs> no, and I think, I think actually we were speaking about where the go, no go point was because right. we were worried about some, some issue based right. on fixes when we got the car back together and right. said, look, if I get to the hairpin, this, you know, second to last corner before the S is like, the go. Yeah. can I finish the lap if I'm getting an alarm or do you want me to pit? And that was yeah. like, just so that we knew before we went, like if we're up against the wall, do we want to send the lap or not? And in fact, the alarm did come on in that corner, but I finished the lap anyways. Yeah, no, and, and, and you're exactly right. But it, it is, it's amazing, like, it's amazing that you can, right? It's amazing in terms of the confidence and stuff like that. You get in the car even with problems. And, I, and you know, that I assume some of that does come from wheel to wheel because there's always problems, right? There's always adversity, right? You have to deal with that adversity. You never know. And you, you both deal with it well. And I remember that, obviously, the particular specific incident very well where we're like, this is not perfect. We know the car is very, very fast in this configuration, though. Here you go. Please, please be safe. <laughs> you got a situation. Don't die. Have fun. Yeah. Please, please, <laughs> please. Thank you. And so it, it, it's just it's just really cool. And I think the last part I, I, I want to touch on that line of thought is that I think you both said you both said this at least once is that when you go and practice, we were talking about seat time and driver mount and stuff like that. When you go and practice, you do it. I don't. I can't remember the word. You used the perfect word for it, but uh, one of you guys used the perfect word for it. But you do it Purposeful. diligently. What'd you say? Purposeful. Purposefully. That's right. You you go out and practice purposefully, and I think you both do. You 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 say that both the same way. Where you're like, I remember talking to Tom the first time before we drove at Buttonwillow, and and you're like, Tom said, you know, I've got a bunch of laps there. Blah 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 blah. I know the the course extremely well, so I think I can get up to speed relatively quickly. I just got to feel the car out for what it's going to do. And it, and and you even talked about how you're going to figure out how the car feels in these particular turns because these are the only turns you're really worried about. And then you'll know how fast the car is, and then you'll be able to run the lap. And I'm like, okay. Sounds like a plan to me. It's that it's that purpose, you know, purposeful attitude of where you just need to understand the limit and uh, takes those couple of turns that are unique or special in some way, and then and then you're good to go. And that's just that's how you know impress upon people and how you practice. Think about the things you're doing in the turns. Think about how you're setting yourself up for turns. Think about where your breaking points are and do it purposefully so you can get better. And you're instead of just, like you guys said, just running around in circles for 20 minutes, no, not really practicing. Yeah, the sport's built up of, of minimizing losses, right? Humans are mistake prone. We all do it. And we're just trying to make the least amount of mistakes and the smallest ones possible. But if you think about it abstractly and you step back from what you're doing that day and you say, look, if I can find one tenth of a second in every corner and there's 12 turns, that's 1.2 seconds and you didn't do anything but improve yourself. Sure. So to your point, when you start getting down to that minute detail, but it does have a pretty profound effect in your result or your speed, you know, you, A, you need a way to measure it, but B, it's, it's a battle of 1%. I mean, you're yep. looking for every last 1% that you can find. And it might be an air pressure change. It might be an alignment. It might be all of it put together. But if I can find five things that are 1% and my car's 5% better than the next guy down the road or girl, whoever's driving, like, you know, that puts me in, in a very competitive spot, right? Yep. And, and, and it's funny because you say it that way. You say you're driving that way. And that's what we say to people who we consult with in terms of the engineering. I'm always saying, I'm looking for a percentage on a percentage on a percentage. If you make enough right decisions, you'll have a good car, right? You're just trying to make as many reasonable engineering decisions as possible all the way through. And that's what the Evo is, right? It's not 
there's not a lot of high dollar there. There's not a lot of craziness. It's just a good decision on good decision, good decision. And that comes down to cost of materials. That comes down to engineering. That comes down to every part of the car. You're just trying to make all these cost-benefit analysis and then performance engineering um, decisions. And if you make enough of them, percentage on a percentage on a percentage builds a good car, right? So it, it's same thing with driver side as it is with the engineering side. So it's all very, very interesting to me. I, I've got a question for Jeff and Tom. Uh, do you guys at this like point of your career and skill level and, and experience have turns that you feel like, oh, shit, like every time you go into it, this is going to be like a little bit, butt you pucker. know, yeah, butt pucker. Because um, I was thinking, uh, I don't That's know if Jeff's question. driven, driven Gingerman, uh, going nine into 10, like the more power I put down, no matter what I can push uh, understeer enough to go off course, or if it's not understeer, I'm. It's just always a turn that's always like, it's just a matter of how hard I want to push this thing if I'm going to get through or not. Riverside at Buttonwill is kind of that same way, but but honestly, I was looking at a track map of Buttonwill and not thinking too many turns. Am I afraid of? Um, but yeah, what are you guys' thoughts? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, I'm human. I don't know. I can't speak for Tom, but there are a few that it doesn't matter what car I'm in, how many times I've done it where you just have to respect it. Like you have to know going in that if I make a big enough error at this speed with this little runoff, I'm going to end up in the fence or the trees. Um, And unfortunately, you know, some of the newer tracks, in my opinion, I think that's what gives them character. It also makes you respect what you're doing and, and have a lot of, uh, I don't know how to how to put it to so just to um, to not just send it in there and hope for the best, right? To be calculated, it forces you to do that. And the newer tracks tend not to have it because they're more neutered and manicured. Right. But a lot of the older circuits that were built, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago, those are the ones that have that character where you need you need to respect it. Like turn six at Laguna, which is the blind entry that kind of right. shoots you up towards the corkscrew. It's massively quick. It's a huge compression. They've added a little bit of pavement on the right, so you have a little bit more leeway there. But, like, every time you go in there, you're thinking, like, if I turn in a hair late or I get a little bit of understeer, I'm in the dirt. And I'm going towards a K-wall. And, uh, or, or the whole lap at Nürburgring, for that matter. I mean, I, yeah, I can't, say, whole lap. I can't yep. say that there's many corners at Nürburgring where you calmly drive into it thinking, like, oh, this is nice. It's, it's a constant, <laughs> it's a constant you know, knife fight. You're just like, ah, don't slide, don't slide, don't slide too much. And you're running out of road and you're in the grass. Yeah. Really fast yeah. scenic route. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. Tom, Tom, what about you? Yeah, I, no, I couldn't agree more. Well, I, I agree that the, the older tracks tend to be better, but now what I find are those corners that are scary are the ones that I gravitate towards if there's certain corners or the tracks that are just like that are my favorite. So like my favorite tracks in the U S or North America are like most sport, Watkins Glen and Road Atlanta. And those are the places that tend to like terrify people. But I find that I think race car drivers in general are limit pushers. Um, but I, I think I have a pretty high sense of self-preservation at the same time. And uh, I, I like those types of corners and tracks because uh, they nestle right into that. Like you have to be a limit pusher. You have to find the limit, but if you can find that limit and hit it constantly, you're going to be faster than most people most of the time. Um, yeah. I thought your question was going to be, do you find corners that you just can't figure out? 
And I thought that was also an interesting question. And there were a couple of them popped into my mind, but those <laughs> tend to be like the boring, tedious corners that you don't want to drive <laughs> versus like, yeah, the scariest corner at, uh, you know, um, I think like turn two at most board or something like that. Two of yeah. is, is a big commitment corner. Yeah. Like you pucker every time, but you look forward to it the entire time as you're doing the, the lap. So it just so happens that all, all those favorite courses are the ones that I obviously hate then. So it's perfect. <laughs> That's just okay. How, that's just how it goes. I do have a question. Uh, when you now, unrelated to the time attack, when you guys are doing your endurance races and you're doing your stints for long periods of time, lap after lap after lap, how do you stay mentally in it the whole time while you're driving for that that extremely long period that you're just trying to go full out or you're conserving here or there and you've, you're, you're going through the track in your head. How do you stay on it the whole way? Tom, why don't you do that one? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm probably not the best answer for this one. Cause I've, I've just really never struggled with it. And I don't, I don't know why I wish I could verbalize why, but I've, I've never really struggled with that um, in real life, but interestingly, and obviously with the last 10 months, being the way they were, I've done a ton of sim racing and I do have that problem badly in sim racing. And I Mm. just, I don't mentally stay engaged the same way in the car uh, in real life. And again, I can't verbalize it. If I could, I could probably figure out how to get better at it. Um, But there's something about the engagement and the, the enjoyment of driving in the car. And a lot of times in the endurance races, you're not pushing, you know, time attack, 10 tenths, you're, you're just under the limit at all times that if you're consistently hitting that limit just under all times, the, the task is more repetition than it is um, sure. you know, hitting the limit. So maybe it's that, maybe it's that perfect combination of the two. Um, and I've, I've, I've had that question before and I've thought about it before for myself, but you know, I've done three to four hours at a time at the Thunder Hill, 25 hours and still was sad when it was over and it flew by and I, I just don't have that in in the, the real world. I wish I could figure it out in the sim racing, though. <laughs> I wonder if it's something to do with physical feedback. Like, you don't get as much feedback with sim racing as you do being part yeah. of the car when you're on the need track. need to be yeah. more stimulated. Yeah, yeah. I think so it's in that, Mike's, for sure. Yeah, that Mike, was going to be... Go to time Because I think that's what the difference is, is that, you know, in the the times I've experienced your question of when you, you lose focus, it's usually when you're in the middle of a double stint or a triple and there's a long yellow because there's a big wreck. Oh. And like everything is a problem at that point. Like you start smelling the exhaust gas in the car ahead and getting a headache. You have to pee. Oh. Like everything comes into your mind. And you're like, why was I not thinking about this before? But it's, you went from this heightened state of physical feedback and, and had quite frankly, quite a few tasks to manage, right? The tire wear over the stint, the brake wear over the stint, conserving sure. fuel at times, having the engineers asking you to like, and I've been told to like extend the gap when you're leading and you want to pull away, but also save fuel at the same time and save the tires. Cause they don't know if they're going to change them for the last stints. Like you're never not doing anything extra than just driving the car, except when the yellow comes out and then you, you hate life. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good there tire. was a year that um, it was the year Memo Gidley crashed in the, the red dragon and grand am. Mm-hmm. I was in the 24 hours of Daytona and he hit the back of the GTLM car that had an electrical problem in the infield. And it's what broke Memo's back and kept him out of a car for two years. But it, it looked like a fireball from a movie set. Like I came out of turn three. I think I was like a fourth car through there. And the DP rear-ended the Ferrari that was stuck at zero miles an hour and just exploded. And the yellow that ensued after that was 
over an hour long. They red flagged it. We stopped on track. It got to the point where they were worried the battery was going to die. So I had to turn off the master and sit there and just wait for like something to happen in front of me before I fired the car up. I was stuck on the oval. I opened the door to get some air because I was hot and the door opened and I couldn't reach it because the car's right. at the oval. It I fell mean, down. Yeah. All oh, these <laughs> things that come up and, and tr- I'm glad memo was okay. I mean, really I'm complaining about these little details and, and most important things that they both were okay and they, they become better and they're, uh, they're back to normal now, but like, it's very to your point. Yeah, it, it does happen. I think um, I think just giving yourself jobs, little jobs, whether it's consistency jobs with the car and placement, uh, lap time jobs, being as consistent as you can, staring at the predictive on the dash. Yep. Those tasks can help you stay engaged, or, or they help me at least in terms of the the long, relentless you know stints of hours at a time. Yeah, that definitely makes me think of times not necessarily specific to endurance racing, but even in the you know the the twelve minute grid life races I've been doing this year is there are certain races that you just want them to end because of the situation you're in. Like you cannot wait for the checkered flag to come out. And that situation I do find very hard to focus on in certain, certain instances, the consistency and that kind of stuff, because uh, typically it's in a situation where, you know, you're at a significant disadvantage and you have little control over what's happening, whether it be the, the fastest cars starting back right behind you and 10 minutes to go, or um, I don't know, there's, something about like you're you're running low on fuel and you just want every lap to be the last lap so you don't have that problem like when those out of your control situations or those like i'm significantly on the back foot on this one situations come up then that is definitely tougher to stay mentally engaged um because it's easy to feel defeated before you're actually defeated you know yep. that's fair yeah that that yeah i think the uh but that can happen from the green flag of a of a 10 minute race <laughs> well sure <laughs> <laughs> the 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 being stimulated enough i would i would just hate i would hate that feeling of you know obviously pushing you know being you know appropriately stimulated i'll say and then having a yellow flag and then having to pee i, I could never get over that i would be done i'd be like i need out i need to pee now i'm done <laughs> <laughs> i mean there there have been i've never done it but there have been drivers in the past who have been peed in the seat because they yeah, have no yeah, oh, option yeah. and then i wouldn't be able to get over that that was my my hundred percent. That was my favorite question on the dinner with racers podcast: is who would you be honored to sit in after they peed in the seat? <laughs> Basically, who would your favorite teammate want to be? But the way they asked it was like, chef's kiss. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not gonna go into that, but no. uh, but yeah, all that is I just that that long period of time. Do either one of you, and I'll, I'll try to make the answer short, or you know, try to make this quick. But do either one of you get like? Obviously, you said you want to. You could do longer stints. Obviously, you mentally and physically is. Do you feel incredibly worn down after that? You know, obviously for the longer races, do you feel like do you sleep like for a full day after the races, or like a, some of the longer twenty five hours, if you will? Um, do you do you sleep longer? Do you feel fatigued? Do you feel bright and fresh? Is it like what what do you feel after one of those races? I definitely sleep longer. I mean, for me. Um... And the stuff I've been driving lately has a significant amount of arrow and to drive it at that top, like the, you know, if you want to be at the front of the field and you're trying to get the most out of the car, like Daytona now we're a 24 hour sprint race. The cars are reliable enough that you are 10 tenths the entire time. Um, and with that comes a lot of physical load because we're, you know, we're putting a thousand PSI through the brake system every time we touch the brake pedal. So usually by hour four, our little backs are all, uh, inflamed from the friction point on the back of the seat. Um, you know, by the time you're done with a long race for me, it's the next day is always just a, it, it's not a hangover, 
but in a way it's a it's a physical fatigue hangover where you're just you've been on adrenaline for so long you've been awake with so little sleep the whole day before that it's it's at least a day to recoup for me sure yeah i don't do it as much um as jeff does and certainly not at the level that jeff's done it or doing it at um but i it took me a while from my transition into like you know the season of club racing into pro racing and then doing more pro racing especially in 2018 and 19 when i was running full seasons uh, of of both series uh, sro and imsa that I had to figure out my prep, so a lot of it came from the prep of the weekend more so than it does the the kind of weekend that it is. It's kind of like a track weekend is a track weekend to me. Um, so I I try to prep for a big one in any any level if it's a grid life festival or if it's you know the twenty four hours or something. Um, so it's like you know the amount of water you're drinking five days before you get there and the types of foods you eat the day before you're in the car and those types of things. That took me quite a while to fine tune, but I find if I if I do the right things in that phase, then I'm usually okay other than, you know, the general fatigue of, you know, being amplified for an entire day. Um, you, you might want to lay on the couch for a day, but I don't find, at least at the level I've done stuff, that if I, if I get my hydration and my, you know, my foods and stuff right, then I'm usually okay. No, that's a great point. That is 100% true as well. There's an art form to that. And when you get it wrong, it is diabolical, but yeah. that does matter. I remember last year at Sebring, um, I raced the, the two hours in the uh, TCR car, and I, I just didn't get my prep right. I don't know what I did, but I think we were there for a, a weird period of time, and we raced on like a Thursday or Friday. Whatever the situation was, I, I didn't do it right. And by the time we finished, I ran out of gas on the cool-down lap. I sat in the car forever. They towed me to victory lane because we won. We were like, that was great. But I couldn't even stand when I got out of the car. They didn't interview me on TV because I looked like a mess. And I could barely, like, hold the trophy on the podium. So, like, between the photo ops, I had to set it down and, like, lean down to make sure that I didn't, like, pass out. <laughs> Which was like, man, I never want to do that again. So, the rest of the season, I was fine. But Well, it's, it's yeah. you hear, like, you hear, like, F1 training. Like, how they go through rigorous uh, physical training. And then their diets are all on it and everything. I mean, no matter... No matter what you do, I'm sure there's some some level of uh, that you gotta have prep in order to do anything, and it just shows pro drivers are athletes. It's exactly. the same kind of deal. You have to have yourself physically capable to do something like that. Yeah, and I mean, if, if there's 15 people that are doing it and 10 that aren't, those 15 are already ahead, right? Because they're going to be less less fatigued and less stressed in that same environment, same situation. Yeah. So once a, a bulk of people start doing it, it becomes a requirement just out of the sheer competition aspect of what it is. Mm -hmm. gotta uh, be ahead in every way you can yeah I, I i think i recall this correctly um that we were with jeff in at road atlanta and i'm pretty sure you gave me a hard time for having ice in my water because it did not hydrate me properly um <laughs> am i remembering this correctly is that something you do no ice I, in water i it may have been me. It may not have. I'm not usually a stickler for that, but I may have said it just more of as, as a joke. But you know, I, I don't remember it. Okay, fair enough. But I do remember, uh, like a year ago. This is is unrelated to Jeff and Tom, but I got into some pretty decently quick carts that are built by a local um, high school team. Um, I was doing some photography for them and just hanging out. And we have a buddy that that honestly runs like a professional motorsports grade. Um, high school team it's mind-blowing but getting into these carts i was initially quicker than these high school kids just from previous experience and stuff but i very very rarely 
drive carts. So after a few laps, I was so beat up and I like not physically strong enough to deal with the carts um, that these kids just started kicking my ass. And I, I felt like, cause I came with my own suit and my own helmet and, you know, like, look at this big dog come in here. And you were that I, guy. I was that guy. I, <laughs> I could do it initially over one lap. It was all right. But over, you know, 10 laps, 15 laps is like, uh, yeah, check please. I need to get out of here. Hardest thing yeah. you can do in terms of prep, and this is for anyone that wants to do anything extracurricular or think it might just be fun to try it, is find a go-kart track, outdoor go-kart track, where the carts have high grip and a high-speed corner. It has to have at least one high-speed corner and go do a one-hour enduro. You will feel like you want to die. Yeah. But it is great training for your forearms, your shoulders, your neck. Like It's it's something that can be hugely beneficial down that, that direction or that path. You guys have been to Full Throttle in Cincinnati, right? The car track? No, not I. I have not up. No. Oh, okay. So Field I trip. worked there for. I, well, yeah, you totally need to go. It's it's not an outdoor track, but it's a really high grip indoor track. I worked there for three years, and when I started working there, I was like almost two hundred and twenty pounds. Like I was a chunker, and I had the same experience, both from a physical being able to maintain a pace, but also just like I was always three to four tenths off of the fastest track record pace of everybody else around me. And it was all these like normal sized people. And I was like, well, shit, I guess I got to get my act together. And like that was my first motivation to turn from being like a chunky high schooler to uh, like getting my my physical self together to be able to perform in a car, which at that point was a rental cart. But same thing. Can can we use that to transition to one of our questions, which was, how did you start? Because I think that you guys have somewhat of a similar start here. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to, you know, obviously we've talked to both of you about how you started, what you guys did. But for other people who are getting into it, you know, everyone always asks, where do you start? Everyone always talks about how track days are expensive and all this fun stuff. But I think you guys are a perfect example of how you can start and actually get really good experience early on without, you know, ridiculous costs, those types of things. So I don't know who wants to go first. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump on that one. I mean, I started, it sounds like a very similar way that Tom did. I was a high school graduating, going to college type of, type of age bracket or terms of life. Um, and I'd done most of my college admittance stuff before my senior year. So I, I got a job at an indoor go-kart track, very similar. It was an indoor track, but it was a high grip treated concrete surface, not a sprayed on slick surface. Uh, and then the owner had been into racing outdoor carts as well. So that was kind of my indoctrination to what carts were. I'd never really driven anything prior to that. Um, and, you know, ultimately cut my teeth initially there, which is fairly low cost to operate when you start thinking about what it is to upkeep a race car beyond that. It's still not inexpensive, but um, essentially that's where I started other than having a huge passion for cars and speed. Um, and, and I think looking back at it that, you know, if you can isolate your, your the way to take whatever resources you can allocate towards your practice, your experience and find the best bang for a buck, right? Like the Corvette at a track day or something might be really sexy and it sounds good and it's fast or a Ferrari or whatever your budget level is, or even a Miata. But like if you can get 10 times the track practice or the experience for your yourself by running a go-kart instead of that, do it because you're going to become better from spending those extra hours or those extra, you know, uh, experiences in the seat that, you know, sink in. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I, uh, I actually started 
so I grew up going to Mid-Ohio as a fan because my dad was, you know, a fan in the 80s and just started taking me in the 90s when I was a kid. And I was always obsessed with racing, but we were never exposed to it outside of just going and spectating um, until my cousin, who's about 10 years older than me, found autocross. Um, so he had been autocrossing a little bit. And when I turned um, 15 and a half and I got my temporary permit, I also started autocrossing because I knew what it was from him. My dad and I started driving, like co-driving together. Um, and through my cousin, uh, who had been competing nationally, he kind of brought me to those national events and introduced me to people. And I got really, really hardcore into like local and national level autocrossing with SECA. Um, and I also got very fortunate because of his, his exposure into that community, my cousins. Um, I got the reputation pretty early on as well of being like, nice enough to work with and I would, um, you know, usually drive pretty well and I could afford to like pay somebody's entry fee. You know, you give them a hundred bucks and they let you drive their car and at autocross, it's great because there's very little impact to the car. The consumables are pretty low cause there's not a lot of time on the car. And then you're not going to hit something really cause you're in a parking lot, you know? So, um, that exposure through the people that I knew and like getting introduced to that community got me started into my own driving something. Uh, and then I just got super lucky that my dad wanted to start his own business and picked indoor go-kart track about five years into my autocrossing career. So I didn't start with karting, but that definitely boosted my motivation into, you know, like I said, cutting a bunch of weight, getting myself together that way. I worked there for three years and saved up enough money to buy a club racing car. Um, and then I, I ended up quitting that job and moving on to like ride and drive jobs and travel, travel work and stuff like that. But that all happened about the same time that I quit that job and had saved a bunch of money to buy a club racing car, um, which turned into crowdfunding the pro racing car. And that spiraled from there. So I think the, the thing that is common between our two experiences is we both had a way to get a ton of seat time early enough and in a way that didn't break our banks both because, you know, I had people willing to let me drive their cars for very low amounts of dollars to just go to an autocross event or, you know, got the job at the go-kart track and was allowed to race for free, um, which was also great. So I, I couldn't agree more that if you, whatever you got to do, if you're getting into it for yourself, like if you got a go-kart track near you, whether it be an indoor one, you can work at and earn free races or get an outdoor cart and go drive or get an autocross car or a cheap enough to operate track day car that you can do it regularly rather than twice or three times a year, you're going to do yourself a lot of favors. Very cool. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, you know, the, between the karting and the autocross, they're both really good options. I know that some people stick their nose at the, the autocross time and then some people don't even know carts are amazing, but but definitely good advice, and, and hopefully people will listen. Obviously, two fantastic gentlemen. If you don't know anything about go-karts, and this is for the listeners, like a shifter go-kart will go zero to 60 and back to zero in less than five seconds. Point me any race car, supercar on the road that'll do that. Very, very few. And it goes to the corner at over 2G. So it's actually, even though it doesn't look like something that you've seen on a poster that you really lust after, the experience behind the wheel is immense. It's so cool. I highly recommend it if you've never done it. Yeah. I, I have only done a couple. I haven't done any, you know, hardcore karting or anything like that, but I've done some from some decent karts and, and like we've talked about, I get like four laps in and I'm like, my my head is really heavy and I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> so that brain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I I have one it, one. Uh, or are you still going? No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just I'm okay. Just going, so. I have one other question regarding to time attack, kind of to tie everything back together. And I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but um, do you guys like? From you guys have worked with larger companies than obviously just professional awesome racing, which is a couple of knuckleheads uh, in a garage. Like, why aren't there larger teams getting into time attack? And is that a good thing that they're not and that it's, you know, still homegrown and stuff? Because it seems to me that, like, if the word got out within the other professional drivers that this is a chance to go, you know, balls to the wall, push everything you have, all these engineers and mechanics and stuff that, you know, want to see what their creations can actually become versus having to manage something throughout a uh, race. Uh, Like, why do you think that hasn't grown more here in the States? Um, I think some of it might have to do with, I, I've come to ex- experience like the amateur and professional racing almost as like grassroots and business racing. Um, and I don't know how business racing operates within the grassroots world. A lot of times, meaning it, it's tough to kind of flex one into the other. Like they, they exist in that way, both from the levels that they operate at, but also just the the financials and the business that is behind it more so than, you know, the, the time attack world, even though you guys are a business with professional awesome, it is still a, a passion project at the end of the day. And sometimes in professional racing or in business racing, as I sometimes call it, it's, it's not always that, even though a lot of times it, it started as that. So that's maybe a little bit of a cynical way to lead into saying, like, I've, I've had a hard time getting professional racing friends who, who truly grew up like pro racing. They started with Skip Barber and they only know that world. I have a hard time even getting them to come to a, like a grassroots level event. Um, and I finally got one to come. And at one point he was kind of standing watching a time attack session. And he's going, these guys are spending a lot of money to just drive around. And like, he, he just like the disconnect. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't think you quite understand. Like we're not doing anything different on an IMSA weekend. And these guys are doing here. It's just someone told you it's more important, you know? So I think that there might be a little bit of that, like grassroots, no, um, sorry, time attack events have that kind of glimmer of passion project grassroots motorsports that, um, in my opinion, is even sometimes a little lacking in in pro-level events. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious Jeff's experience because I don't know how that sounded. <laughs> no, I think you're, the way you dissected it into passion passion project or grassroots level and business racing is very accurate. I think that you know, part of the reason there's not a cross-pollination between the two is that the goals of the professional racing teams generally are to uh, find sponsors to be able to facilitate their operation. And in most cases, not all, but most cases, rent the car out. And part of renting the car out is returning a, a significant amount of ROI, whether it's the sponsor or the person who's showing up with dollars to do it. Right? So like an example would be in NASCAR. Right? If, if you want to be a top-level NASCAR driver – based on some friends I have working from various teams uh, for one driver, for one season, you need $25 million of budget. If you don't have that, you can't even run the whole season. Right. And so a lot of times they're looking towards the revenue from the TV, uh, the stuff that happens on social media. I mean, it's this whole ecosystem that goes on for them to even be able to survive. 
And the teams, although the owners and mechanics love racing, they're also using that to pay their bills, right? When you look at a lot of the teams that are in Time Attack, most of them are using that as a small avenue of the advertisement of a service they offer for road cars or for tuning or for something like that. And I think that they both have, although the, the concept is similar, they both have very different goals. Basically, what you guys are saying is we're bad business people and we're <laughs> really bad at spending our money. But that's OK, because you guys get to drive fast bad cars. business people. No, it's OK. I got it. I didn't say that at all. What I'm okay. trying to highlight there is that it takes passion to do it on either side, right? But it just the motive behind it is different. Yeah, I think he tell, I, he's I, telling I, you to be better, Mike. Be better. Hashtag <laughs> be better. Working on it. Uh, but um, yeah, like I think it's interesting. You know, we talked about or on other podcasts. We're talking about how how if and when or what it looks like for for time attack to grow and what that can look like as you bring in more people and maybe more money and payouts and things like that and what that looks like and obviously i don't want it to get out of hand and you know make it so that you know people can't compete anymore especially with with high dollar things you know you know Porsche brings out something crazy and you know Volkswagen brings out their craziness and all of a sudden now we just nobody can compete anymore but but it is interesting to see because I do think that it would be you know at least you know their their love for lap times right there's this there's this love for the ring times there's this love for you know uh, um you know Viper and stuff like that and they they wanted to go to all these tracks and these track records that were slow I'm talking to you Dodge you know it was slow, so stop it. Anyway, they want to get all these lap records, and they want to go all these track records, and it's just interesting that they're not even. They don't even need to put a ton of money into it. They could they could have good branding in those in these types of events, and and build reasonably quick cars without you know a ton of effort, right? It could just be you know the engineers from GM, the engineers from you know um, FAC, that type of thing that are they're building these cars and possibly bringing them out to to compete in these more quote unquote simplistic time attack events. It just I wonder if that's ever going to catch on. Well, I can tell you that if you want the engineers from GM to show up, you actually want the engineers from Pratt and Miller, not from GM, because every no, no. car that's done anything for GM is a Pratt and Miller car, not a GM car. No, no, I know. I, I uh, don't want Pratt and Miller to show up because I want to have a chance. Yeah, but, <laughs> that's kind of what I, I to respond to you on that. Is that you know another thing that's an interesting balance is that you know Time Attack affords a, a really neat platform for people who are just getting started in motorsports. And, and also have a lot of experience in motorsports and want to run up the, up the levels or the classes in, within, right? And when you start inviting or thinking about pro teams coming, you, the level of engineering will go up, but so will the cost right. massively. Yep. I mean, that's ultimately we see that in pro racing too. There's teams that, that are spending almost double what some others are, and those generally are the teams that are in the front all the time, and it's no coincidence. And so, you know... If you lose the grassroots nature of time attack, then it, it might actually hurt the total car count. You know what I mean? Sure. I think yeah. I think the street and, and limited class of time attack are really the the um, the base that keeps it alive and thriving because it's the aspirational like, hey, I'm really really good in street, but I want to move up to limited. And here's how I want to engineer my car and do a really good job with it, and this is what I think will make it faster and more reliable. And like that's that's the beauty of time attack. In my and, and that's what I yeah that's what I'm tr kind of what I'm trying to get at is 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 it is it possible to be in that middle ground where we have payouts where we have more people involved but then 
don't get too big that some of these teams, some of these pro level teams, some of these let's let's just call it what it is, the money appears and then yeah. you know makes it hard for anybody else to compete. Maybe the spirit I, of time attack. Well, that's oh, what I God. think. Go like the spirit of time attack for me is like the the businesses that do bolster time attack and like hold time attack up. With obviously you guys are one of them, but the the teams that are either supported by a business or the business that operates a car are often operating in support of a lot of competitors. So you know, oh, yeah. if Pratt and Miller's developing cars and stuff for GM stuff it's often not customer facing it's internal and they keep that secret and they make sure that no one else has it because then they might not win versus right. you guys you try something on yeah. the evo and then you figure out oh this actually works really well we're going to put it for sale and everybody with an evo can do this or everybody with a whatever car can do this so i think that that is still a little bit of the line blurred between you know there's there's business within both types of motorsport but the 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 businesses that support the grassroots level of motorsport or specifically time attack tend to also lift the entire community up i don't know if like i haven't i haven't experienced much within my time at like you know, time attack and any sort of builder class that there's people really keeping things secret um sure in the same way think- that in pro racing like you know we would guard our setups at, at the first year i raced in tcr everybody was in audi rs3s and like it was the same car you can't change the parts you can't do anything so our setup was like gold and we were explicitly instructed like we don't talk about the setup with anybody else like that's all we got so i think that's a big difference yeah i think there's plenty of people who are thinking they're doing something crazy and keeping it secret but we've talked about that before too and they're not um but yeah (laughs) it's it's I'm sorry, but uh, every time I find that someone's doing something secret and then I find out what that secret is, I'm like, yeah, we did that in 2012. So did everybody else. Okay, now that we're here, welcome I, to the I, club. I love that as like a mind game. We always joked about that at like the go-kart track. There was this customer that came in and he was convinced that the, the employees had their own carts. And oh, we God. put special tires on them or whatever. We're like, we should get like little spray bottles and just put water in them, like spray the tires before each session and just like... Lean oh, into it. Make it. <laughs> you're terrible. Just, I know. You're terrible. I'm a terrible person, but it would be fun. Oh, right? that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, a, a good example is is Mike Warfield. He's like the king of messing with people. He would oh, put stuff God. on the car and and Dude, mess with people all the time. Me. He messes me all the time. I got to a point where I was like, just call me and tell me when it's done. Like, I yeah. don't want to know any of the things that happened in between when we're going. Call me. Yeah. Yeah, he, he he just messes with people like constantly, and you never know. Like, and he, he literally does things or says things so that people think that that's what's going on or that's what's happening, so that people try to copy. And then he never did it because it's a bad idea. Yeah. And, so now and then there's copies of it. And it's like, oh god, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. To, He's a to character, that and that guy's got a great sense of humor. It it's just it's just insane stuff. It's just so funny to me. Do you think that that car will ever? see the light of day again i mean I, I there was a moment in time where i hope so and i thought it would but based on how much time's passed i really don't think so um and I, prove me wrong mike prove me wrong but at this point yeah. i don't think so well, well we'll see just a little bit yeah yeah it's all right it's all right we will we, see we, 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 will, we, we will always truthfully i mean not not uncorking too many secrets but we got to a point where we had maximized what we could with the aero package we had built the car around and to modify the aero package and make a significant step forward, which is what we were lacking because we relied a lot on mechanical grip with that car. Mm -hmm. Um, We would have had this kind of 
tear it all down and start over in a way to, to get any significant chunk forward in what we wanted to achieve. And so I think we left some time on the table based on like cutting two laps together and getting held up in traffic on one from our record that we had set at one point. But all, truth be told, if we really wanted to make a significant gain, it would have been a complete overhaul. And I think that's where the go, no go came from. Sure. And, and yeah, I mean, from the from the conversations I had as well, is is it was a rebuild, and and obviously that's a huge undertaking, you know. So it's understandable that that it takes a while, and and there's plenty of obstacles in the way to to achieve goals, especially when you're doing a full undertaking like that and a full rebuild. Yeah, we, I mean, we needed probably two thousand pounds more downforce, if not more, to do anything significant. Yeah. Got Craziness. Do you two feel like uh, Time Attack is a step closer to professional racing? Like, is it a middle? Is it a middle step or is it a side step for you guys? Like, is it just is it a, a side show? Yeah. Oh, okay. oh my God! <laughs> is my. it a side show not... or is it a path to getting an actual seat? It's my side chick, and I love her to death. There you go. <laughs> awesome, Tom. Um, I, I, I look forward to all of it in the same light i guess um i'm trying to think of it from you know like a, if i ho- if i had my own car and i was on my own path like how would i treat it um rather than like getting the opportunity to drive cool cars every once in a while like it's did more for me and i would think it it's a a driver breeding ground in ways we've already talked about it's a uh disciplined breeding ground in that getting your car to to like operate at the highest level and develop through those levels teaches you invaluable things that I wish I had put more effort into earlier in my career because when I showed up to my first race with an actual engineer as a, as a quote-unquote professional, like, I don't know what that person thought, but they were very nice to humor me and <laughs> treat me with a little respect until I got my head around stuff. Um, so I think it's totally a valuable, like, educational tool and experience in your path towards, like, doing something bigger, if you want to call, you know, if you're aiming to be as big as pro racing for yourself. Um, but I think it's probably an, it's probably a parallel path on a different path, like in the, in the end, you know, it's more sure. like a pinnacle of its own thing to have sure. an unlimited time attack car than it is to like have an unlimited time attack car so that you can go race at Daytona. Right. Yeah. That's the, it's the hard part. It's, you know, I think that I would hope that, Seeing, you know, from your guys's capabilities, if you guys get in a car like ours and you run times, you know, especially Buttonwillow times that are as fast as some of these, you know, GT3 times, stuff like that, I would hope that, you know, organizations would see that and be like, they're capable. And I don't know if that's like uh, anybody is paying attention to it at all. That's what I'm saying. But it's like, oh, yeah, they're capable of driving a car this fast. Obviously, look at, look at what they were capable of. I've seen very little attention paid that direction, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think logically it would make sense to pay more attention that way, but I haven't seen it come to fruition in that direction. But like my introduction to Time Attack was an inverse of that, where I was introduced to it from recognition in professional racing at Daytona. So I ran the 24 hour uh, and I got introduced to Mike based on someone who noticed me there. So it was, I found Time Attack after I had gone. Sure. So. I mean, I think the one thing was the, um, when when Tom when you drove the car, I know that Honda had come out and there was a couple of guys there from Honda, and and you know what was there when they obviously you hadn't driven anything that fast yet, but or, you know you drove our car and you drove it extremely fast, extremely quickly. You know, did that 
bode well for you? Did that look good for you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what was the, was there any response from that? Um, well, it, it did bode well for me, but probably not in the way you think. Um, I don't know how much attention they pay to it. And honestly, I don't know how much understanding a lot of those, those, the people in those positions would really have of that. Um, if they did, that's great. Maybe I don't know about that, but I don't know of that. Um, what it did do is when I got to drive the NSX GT3 the next year, the right. only car even close to the realm of that car right. was, it was basically the, a, a, the blend of the Pro Awesome Evo and the TCR Civic I was racing at the time because there were a lot of the same like pro racing systems in the TCR car, but sure. the only car that had gone as fast as that GT3 car could go even close to, in my mind, was your car. So it was very easy to like wrap my head around the GT3 car um, based on pulling from those other experiences. So it helped, but not because those guys were there watching, you know, scouting or gotcha. anything. I'm, yeah, I'm just, just, you know, an interesting thing. I didn't know if, uh, if that, you know, showed well. And they're like, wow, you know, obviously you can handle more than we're giving you kind of thing. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, perhaps. I mean, I, I don't know why I got invited to do that test in the GT3 car, but maybe that was it. And I don't maybe. know. We're going to say yes, because it's going to make yeah. me feel better about helping your career. We're helping well, someone. One, Woo! I think um, from a non-driver's perspective, because I never went to college, I barely made it out of high school, um, but the amount of knowledge I've gained from uh, working with the team in constructing multiple cars now from the ground up, um, I think it's invaluable for other jobs and it's kind of like the same thing as what tom said it's like okay i know now what i am capable of maybe other people haven't noticed it as much i'm like not getting job offers um because of you know professional awesome but the engineering knowledge i have i think kind of you know i don't want to puff myself up too much but it's superior to a lot of the college kids that i've seen coming out of purdue and correct it's and it's like it's because I had to learn each and every single component, how everything functions, how they all work together as a package, learn from our mistakes. It's like one big tech course that's lasted for 10 years um, and and has given me some knowledge that then um, incredibly I can then, you know, give to others. And that's super, super cool to me. Um, and I think if we did just, you know, spec me out or something, which I think is really cool. Don't get me wrong, but there isn't so much freedom and in that freedom comes all that, that knowledge. And, uh, so I think to answer your question, now you weren't asking me, um, Hayden, but, uh, time attack is super helpful in that regard. Right on. Makes a lot of sense. Honestly, getting a, getting a background on whatever you do with uh, whatever involvement you have, if you have a large enough involvement, then obviously it should evolve into something. Yeah. Practical knowledge is often, in my opinion, more valuable than academic. And I've seen it in racing in various forms. It doesn't have to be an IMSA or SRO, but you know, a lot of people with the book knowledge or have come out with a degree, but haven't really turned wrenches and understood the loads that the tire sees based on you know the strut the shock the control arm how whatever configuration you have and and if you're rifling through a book you read on how to deal with a problem mm-hmm. you know yet you have someone who's got five years of experience the same similar amount of time four to five years of of watching tires deflect and learning about how the car works you know oftentimes that practical knowledge is gets you to where you want to go faster it's funny yeah, I, I remember go ahead 
Oh, sorry. I remember when Mike, when I first met Mike, he was teaching me all his engineering shit from Purdue. He's talking about safety factors and loads and this and that. And this was back when I was driving the car and uh, I was at Auto Club Speedway and we're going through um, the Roval. And in one turn, it's like a steady 150 mile per hour. And we were doing the math and it's like, you know, one and a half to two G turn constant. And Mike had taught me all this stuff. And I'm just thinking as I'm going through this turn, it's like, how much load is going through a strut bolt right now? What is the safety factor? What's the tensile strength on this? If anything fails, I'm going to die. All right, great. This is awesome. I didn't. <laughs> I wish I didn't know. In the moment. <laughs> you're saying, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. saying ignorance is bliss, basically, right? Oh, my gosh. It would have been at that time. Yeah. But I, I, I was like, oh, I did the calculations. I trust the, the tensile strength of the steel. Okay, let's go. Put yeah. down. I'm partially glad that Time Attack doesn't go back to Auto Club because it, it did go there for a while, and there's a lot of track days that have occurred at, at that track. And, and it's been a dangerous track in its own right just for professional oval racing with, with the cars that are prepped for it. But the, it's a combo of the banking and the radius of that corner that puts such a high load on the tires. Like tire failures are a constant problem. Suspension failures are a constant problem. And you get people going out there with street cars. You know, and it's far exceeding the load the tire and the suspension would ever be engineered to see in most road cars. And so it's, yeah, it's it's a real thing. I mean, you do have to think about that at some point, but hopefully not when you're, you know, five seconds away or even currently in it in the moment. Trust what's in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you don't, you know, get sent up in flames or anything. Easy, right? Oh, 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 don't say that out loud. That's part of joining Pro Awesome is getting caught on fire. <laughs> yeah, you don't oh, want why I said that. <laughs> I will say, even though Jeff and I don't know each other particularly well, all the comparisons always make me feel really good because I can only hope that I will operate in pressure the way he did when the car was on fire and he just calmly pulls over. If you haven't seen that video, yeah. it's worth seeing. Oh and I'm like, okay, if I'm anything like Jeff, I hope if I'm ever on fire... I'm as calm and cool and collected and do everything yeah, right just he's like on that. Fire, he, he gets out. He's like, God, it's like a, it's an inconvenience. Yeah. Gets out, <laughs> goes to the corner worker, points at where the fire is. Corner worker sprays at the wrong place. You walk over back to the corner worker over here, please. And then you walk away. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, that, that was only because I'd caught on fire at Button Willow once before. So I, yeah. I had practice at it. That You're was practice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Again, want to practice that. Stupid. That yeah. That that time was legitimate. You know, huge hole in the block, but here nor there. Just fire drill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think we've had a thorough discussion here, um, and I appreciate both of you for coming on and and giving us your insights into, you know, the time attack, professional racing, where you got started, all that stuff. I think that you know this is invaluable information, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Back at you. Absolutely Thanks. appreciate Thanks. the opportunities you guys have given me. Well, you'll yeah, get more. I, we need more. I'm wondering, yeah, Jeff, are you jealous? Um, we've made dramatic <laughs> changes to the car, and um, Tomo is is lined up. Are are you a little sad that uh, you haven't driven the car recently? I, the thought does cross my mind. You know, it would be nice to to turn a lap or two if it ever the opportunity ever arose. But I know he's going to do a good job with the car, and and he's, uh, the car's in good hands. So. I'll watch on the sideline, uh, happily hoping that you guys achieve what you want to achieve. And oh, Jeff, low you... key sounded like a guilt trip, but <laughs> <I was laughs> like, hey, no, Jeff, if you ever want to trade, like I'll absolutely. We can work something out. I'm sure these wow. guys will understand. <laughs> we can, we can wow. like make a weekend a weekend just Touché. once, just once. Touché. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
There you go. Everyone's getting what they want, I think. I don't know, but maybe. Awesome. With that being said, rate us five stars and give us a review. I don't care what you say in a review. Hell, you can say I even made you do it. It really helps out with algorithms so we can continue to make these episodes. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Professional Awesome Racing. We offer our consulting services through our website at Professional Awesome. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear your feedback. Until next time, peace.